0: if you have your Bible, let me encourage you to hold it up with me right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth. For what we believe and how we live. Now, and open up your copy of God's Word with me to John chapter 18, John's Gospel, the 18th chapter. But let me just warn you in advance that we're going to be looking at a variety of scriptures, particularly from the Gospels this morning. And and so if you want to go back and reference some of these passages, you're going to need to write these down so that you don't forget them. Perhaps two of the worst things that could ever happen to us relationally is to have someone betray us, stab us in the back, or to have someone deny us, turn their back on us. But what you need to understand is that Jesus had both of these things happen to him within a matter of hours. And what concerns me today Is that the same thing that happened to Jesus then can happen to Jesus now you see within a matter of hours any of us in this room can either betray Jesus or deny Jesus now this morning we're gonna look at the two men who did those two things we're gonna look at Judas and we're gonna look at Peter and we're gonna look at their failures and see what we can learn But as we get started, I want you to understand that Judas and Peter failed in similar ways, but their futures were entirely different. Judas has a name that is despised today, while Peter has a name that is revered today. But I want to remind you, any of us, any of us can do the exact same things that Judas and Peter did. Now, first, we're going to look at Judas. Judas was a betrayer, and I want you to listen to what John's gospel says about this, beginning in verse 1. It says, after saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now, with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. Now, the name Judas means praise. And in Jesus' day, it was one of the most popular names that parents would give to their children, their sons. But today, hardly anyone would name their child Judas because the name Judas means betrayer, synonymous with a betrayer. But what was it that caused Judas to betray Jesus? I mean, he had followed him for three years. He had lived with him night and night. And day. He had heard him teach, and yet now he betrayed him. Now, and as we look at Judas's life, I want you to see that betrayal doesn't happen instantaneously, it develops over time. It happened as Judas slowly but surely hardened his heart toward the one he professed to love. And as we look at Judas' story, we see two important truths that you need to understand. First of all, Jesus chose Judas. Don't ever miss that. Jesus chose Judas. And we don't know when Judas began to follow Jesus. What we do know is that it was very early on in Jesus' ministry. But what we do know is that when Jesus was choosing his 12 disciples, he chose Judas to be one of those 12 disciples. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, it says this. One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples, everyone who was following him, and he chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Simon, whom he named Peter, and then later on it says Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. If you've ever wondered whether Jesus could love you, if you've ever wondered whether Jesus could use you, if you've ever wondered whether Jesus would choose you, I want you to remember, Jesus chose Judas. If you don't go to heaven, it's not because Jesus didn't choose you. It's because you have not received Jesus as your Savior and Lord. It's because you have not chosen him. During the three years that Judas was with Jesus, he saw things that no one else saw. He heard things that no one else heard. He experienced things that no one else experienced. Here was a man who who not only had the privilege of hearing Jesus teach great truths, but he had the privilege with 12 other disciples of hearing Jesus unpack those great truths and shared the deeper meaning of what he taught. But what about us? What about those of us who were born in America today? We have the opportunity to own our own Bibles and read them anytime we want to. We have the privilege of going to church whenever we want to, as often as we want to. We have the opportunity to turn on the TV and and watch some of the the greatest, most powerful preaching ever on our TV. But what you need to understand is many people and and really most people in the world don't have this opportunity. For most people in the world, accepting Jesus involves rejecting everything you have been taught in your past. It involves rejection, rejection, of your family, it involves economic hardship, it involves persecution, it involves death. You see, like Jesus, those of us who have been born in America, we have this amazing opportunity to hear about Jesus and and get to know Jesus. But Judas was not only chosen by Jesus, Judas served with Jesus. We're told that Judas preached the kingdom of God. We're told that Judas cast out demons. We're told that Judas healed the sick. Now, that boggles my mind. How could someone who later betrayed Jesus preach the kingdom of God with power, which he did, cast out demons, which he did, do miracles, which he did, and to be honest with you, I don't have the answer to that question, but, but I want you to listen to what Jesus said earlier on. In Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus was preaching that sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, he said this. He said, not everyone who calls on me or calls me their Lord will get into the kingdom of heaven. Only the ones who obey my Father in heaven will get in. Oh, the day of judgment, listen, Many will call me their Lord. They will say, we preached in your name. In your name, we forced out demons. We worked many miracles. But I will tell them, I will have nothing to do with you. Get out of my sight, you evil people. You can stand on this stage and preach with power. You can cast demons out of people. You can heal the sick. You can be used by God to do miracles and yet not even know who Jesus is. That described Judas. Judas did all of those things, but on the day of judgment, the father will say, I don't know you. And it needs to be a warning to us today because I am afraid that our church buildings are filled with people who know all about Jesus, but we don't really know Jesus. So how did Judas get to this point? Well, I believe that Judas all along was trying to serve two masters. But Jesus said no one can serve two masters. You will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You cannot serve God in any other master. May I ask you what masters are you struggling with today? Are you loving the world that we live in while professing to love Jesus? There's going to come a point when you're going to have to choose who you're going to love. Jesus or this world. That's why John, who was called the disciple whom Jesus loved, wrote in 1 John, Do not love the world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Now for Judas, this love for the world was exposed at an event that took place at the home of Simon the leper. He was throwing a party and, Mary was there. Mary, who was the the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And while Jesus was was sitting at the table, Martha came to him and poured a bottle of perfume over him. Now, it wasn't just any bottle of perfume that she poured on Jesus. The Bible says that it was an expensive bottle of perfume. It was worth one year's pay. Now, think about that. Think what you make in a year and just think that that bottle of perfume that she poured on Jesus, it costs that much to buy that bottle of perfume. And the Bible says that she poured that perfume on Jesus as an act of love, an act of worship. But listen to what happens next in Mark 14. It says some of those at the table were indignant Why waste such expensive perfume, they ask? It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. I want you to listen to those words, indignant, waste, scolded, harshly. There were some there at that table who didn't think that Mary's act was an act of worship. They thought that it was an act of waste. But they didn't understand that that Mary was was preparing Jesus' body for death. But that event, it exposed Judas' heart. I want you to notice what it says in John's Gospel, chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. It says, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Judas was the one who was leading the criticism of Mary. But the reason he was leading this criticism was not because he cared for the poor, not because that money could have bought food or clothing for the poor. No. Judas was the treasurer of the disciples. He was the one who who had charge of taking care of all their money. And the Bible says that From time to time, he would take money from the treasury and use it on himself. He was a thief at heart. You see, this event exposed Judas's heart. It showed that his heart had never been changed. He was going through the motions. He was playing the game. But inside, he was the same Judas he had always been, spending three years rubbing shoulders with Jesus, Staying with him, walking with him, hearing him, seeing him, none of it had changed his heart. I want you to listen. Sooner or later, your heart will be exposed. And so, may I ask you, what is it that has your heart? For Judas, it was money. For some of us, it's relationships or sex. It's power. It's sitting on a pedestal. It's popularity. There are all kinds of things that can have our heart, but I want you to hear me. If anything other than Jesus has your heart, you're in a dangerous place. And that takes us to Jack, judas's tragic choice jesus chose judas but judas chose the world it was right after this anointing at bethany that judas experienced his line in the sand moment right after this event judas made up his mind whose side he was on for three years he had tried to serve two masters he had tried to walk in two different directions but in that moment he chose which side he was on Uh, listen to what Matthew's gospel says in chapter 26 it says then Judas Iscariot one of the 12 disciples went to the leading priest and asked how much will you pay me to betray Jesus and they gave him 30 pieces of silver from that time on Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus Judas sold his soul for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. What will it take for you to sell your soul? What will it take for you to betray Jesus? Now, prior to this moment, Satan was on the outside tempting Judas But in that moment, Satan entered in to Judas. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 22. It says, then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12. Now Satan had complete control of his life. And I want you to hear me. Judas is a picture of many church members who go through all the right motions, who even have the right Knowledge, but their heart belongs to someone else. You see, Judas was with Jesus, but Judas didn't know Jesus. And I want you to hear me, brothers and sisters. I am so fearful that many, perhaps even many in this room, We're right where Judas was. We know him. We come. We go through the motions. But we don't really know him. He doesn't have our heart. Something else has our heart. And sooner or later, unless you turn to Jesus, that will be exposed. So Judas was a betrayer. Peter, Peter was a denier. This was the man who made that great confession at Caesarea Philippi. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is the one who was given that privilege with two others on the Mount of Transfiguration to see Jesus in all of his glory. This was the one who had made that claim, even if I have to die, I will never deny you. But he denied Jesus three times. Now listen to what John's gospel says about Peter's denial. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of the man's disciples, are you? no he said i am not one because it was cold the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire they stood around it warming themselves and peter stood with them warming himself meanwhile as simon peter was standing by the fire they asked him again you're not one of the disciples are you he denied it saying, no i'm not two But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it. Three. And immediately a rooster crowed. Now let me ask you, how could Peter love Jesus one minute to the point of being willing to die and the next minute he denies him? I think several things happened. Here's the first thing. Peter was confident in his faith. He was too confident in his faith. Listen to what it says in Mark 14. It says, Peter said to him, even if everyone else denies you, I never will. Peter looked at all the other disciples who were with Jesus and said, they, they may deny you, but not me. I'll never deny you. Now, and understand, there's a big difference between Confidence in God and confidence in self. Self-confidence more often than not leads to a hard fall. That's why the Apostle Paul, told, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. You see, I believe with all my heart, any of us at any time, could fall to any sin, given the right situation, the right circumstances, the right temptation. You say, oh, no, not me. Watch out, because if you don't think that you can fall to anything, you're no different than Peter. And your confidence is not in Jesus. Your confidence is in your own ability to For Jesus and that's a dangerous thing because your ability is not as good as you think second thing we see is that Peter forgot that he was in a spiritual battle and he needed spiritual power in Luke 22 Jesus said Simon Simon Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat now sifting was a process that you used with wheat. You would take the wheat and you would put it on the ground on something hard and you would crush it with your heel. And then you would pick up the wheat and you would shake it violently. And after you shook it violently, you would throw it up in the air. That was the sifting process. And so what Jesus is telling Satan is that or telling Peter is that Satan wants to tear you apart and leave you in pieces. And what's surprising to me is Jesus granted Satan's request. Why did he do that? Well, I believe the reason is because it is only in the sifting of life that we really grow it's only in the difficult times the hard times the painful times the tempting times that our faith really grows so jesus allows us to be sifted but what you need to understand is that jesus controls the sifting Jesus controls the heat of the fire that he allows us to go through. One of my favorite verses is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You need to write this verse down and take it with you wherever you go. And when you're tempted, read this verse. Listen to what it says. It says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. God is faithful. Faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you were tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. I am so thankful for that promise. When the sifting comes, I know that God's not going to allow me to be sifted, tested, tested tempted more than he has given me the ability to withstand and so if the devil is throwing it my way I know that God has already given me the power to come through it victorious because he's not going to allow you to face anything that he has not already given you the power to overcome the third thing we see here is that Peter failed to maintain spiritual disciplines It tells us that when they got to the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, along with two other disciples, were asked by Jesus to go in a little deeper and pray with him. I want you to listen to what Jesus said before he told them to pray and then after they fell asleep. It's found in Luke 22, it's verses 40 and 46. Verse 40 says, Then he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation.'" And then after they fell asleep, he said, why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. Jesus knew that the spiritual battle they were about to face was great. And if they did not maintain spiritual disciplines, they would never be able to stand up to the powers that they were going to have to overcome. And I look at our our nation today, And I see how confused people are. And I see how deceived people are. And I wonder, I just wonder if the church of Jesus Christ was praying like we should, would we be better prepared to keep our nation from falling into all of the confusion and the deception that we are falling into today? Because brothers and sisters, listen, we are in a bad place. And I don't believe it's a bad place because the world is a bad place. The world has always been a bad place. I believe that we are in a bad place today because the church, those of us who know Jesus, we are not maintaining the spiritual disciplines that God has given us to experience victory as we walk through life. So here they were in the garden. They came and they arrested Jesus. And next we see Peter followed, but at a distance. Listen to chapter 22 of Luke, verse 54. It says, so they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The same disciple who said, I will follow you to prison and to death, was now following Jesus at a distance. And that's what happens when we don't maintain the spiritual disciplines that we need to in our life. We We're still following Jesus, but we're not following him like we used to. We're not as close to him as we used to be. We're not committed to him as we used to be. It's not that we're doing anything necessarily bad or or evil. It's just that we're not as close to Jesus as we used to be. And when we find ourselves in that position of following at a distance... The next step is inevitable. We will find ourselves too close to the world. Peter got too close to the world. In Luke 22, verse 55, it says, After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. Now notice that last phrase, Peter was sitting among them. I believe that's a perfect description of a Christian that's gotten too close to the world. You say, well, Rocky, don't we have to be in the world to share the gospel with the people of the world? Absolutely. But there's a difference between being in the world and being of the world. You see, the Bible makes it very clear that we as Christians are told to come out of the world and be a separate people. God expects us to live by a different standard than the world God expects us to walk a different path than the world. God expects us to warm ourselves by a different fire than the world. David the psalmist began the book of Psalms with with these words. He said, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. And here's Peter. Peter is sitting around the fire with the same people who came in the Garden of Gethsemane and arrested Jesus. The same people who are now calling for his death. Peter is warming himself with them. And can I say, it's only a short step from warming yourself with the people of the world and denying Jesus. Not once. Not twice, but three times. So Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. Well, what happened next? How did their lives end? Well, in Matthew chapter 27, it talks about Judas. It says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care? They retorted, sure problem. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple, and he went out and hanged himself. It didn't take long for Judas to experience remorse for what he did. And Judas not only experienced remorse, he acknowledged what he did was sin. Did you get that? He was overcome with grief over what he did. He acknowledged that what he did was sin, but his acknowledgement of sin, his remorse over his sin did not remove his guilt, it did not remove his shame, it didn't bring forgiveness to his life. So here was Judas. Judas left with no hope in life, and so he took his life. What an awful end to a tragic choice. But what about Peter? It says in Luke 22, at that moment the Lord turned, the moment that he denied him the third time, At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered that the Lord had said, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. You will deny that you know me three times. Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Now, on the surface, it really doesn't look like what Peter did and what Judas did was that much different, does it? I mean, Judas, he was remorseful. He acknowledged, I have sinned against an innocent man. Peter, when he saw Jesus, he went out and wept bitterly. On the surface, you would look at this and say, they did the exact same thing. Why is one condemned to hell? Judas is, the Bible says. Why is the other going to be sitting on a throne in heaven? What is the difference? Well, I think the difference is found in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. This is an important Verse. I want you to listen. It says, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin. Did you get that? The kind of sorrow God wants leads us away from sin. We don't just acknowledge it, it leads us away from sin. It causes us to turn from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. You see, I can be sorry for what I do. I can admit that it is sin. But if my sorrow has not led me to turn from my sin and turn to Jesus, giving him my all, Then it hasn't led to salvation. And my heart has never been changed. So, what about it? Where are you? You see, there are Judases in church who, given the right price, are going to betray Jesus. There are deniers in church who, out of fear, out of a temptation, deny they even know Jesus by how they live, what they do, what they say. Peter's going to heaven. Judas is going to be in hell. It would be a tragic thing if you're here today and your heart has never been changed And you leave here today without allowing Jesus to change your heart. And because of your choice, you go to hell. And I'm not trying to scare you. I just want you to know this is a big deal. And if your heart hasn't been changed, you're not going to heaven. So I want you to take a moment right now. And I want you to examine your heart. And I want you to ask yourself, has my heart been changed? Do I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my life is changed because Jesus is living in me? He's given me a new heart, a new life, a new beginning. If not... My prayer is that right now, in this very moment, there's something inside of you kind of tugging at your heart. That would be the Holy Spirit. It's not my plea. It's not some manipulative tactic. The the Bible says when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict us of sin, of righteousness, our lack of righteousness, and that there's a judgment to come. And if you're here and you haven't been changed by Jesus, my prayer is that even right now, the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart. And and if he is, then you have a choice to make. Am I going to swallow my pride? Am I going to reject the world and give my heart to Jesus? Or am I going to stay where I'm at? and lose it all. I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I want to ask you a question. I just want you to be honest with me. Nobody's going to be looking but me and and our other pastors who are down front. But if you're here and, and you felt that tuck, you're feeling that tug on your heart, you know that you know that You need to give your life to Jesus. There's something inside of you letting you know that this morning. I'm going to ask you with every eye closed, every head bowed, no one looking around. I'm going to ask you right now just for our pastors to just raise your hand and and say, Hey, I believe God's tugging on my heart. Would you raise your hand right now just so we can know? Is anyone here? Thank you. Thank you, brother. Anyone else? Anyone else here? God's tugging on your heart. Thank you can put your hands down if you're here God was tugging on your heart and you're ready to surrender it all to Jesus I want to invite you right now to pray this prayer dear God I humbly come to you today acknowledging my sin I've been living as if I were God I've been living for myself Forgive me. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus, I'm turning from self-centered, sinful living. Jesus, I know you died on the cross. I know you rose from the grave so that all my sins could be forgiven. So that I could have victory over sin. Today I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving my life to you. Take control. Fill me with your spirit. And with your head still,